0: We are here to share our stories, experience, and give a platform for others to talk about the no no's. We are not medical or healthcare professionals. Anything heard here is just based from our human experience, and should you have any medical or mental health challenges, we encourage you to seek professional support. Our content isn't suitable for children, and please be aware it may be triggering. This is Chelsea. This is Catherine. And, and we're, we're talking, talking about, about the no no's.
1: So hard to do with the, the social distancing one. I mean, we could well, least, figure out ways, but we just don't have time for that.
0: At least people know we're social distancing, so that's, that's good. That's true. It's
1: proof. Our, proof. our not unison, unison part is proof of our distance.
0: Okay, so this month, we, we talked a little about this on another episode, but this mm-hmm. month is Child Abuse Awareness Month. And this episode will actually air on the last day of the month. And so today we're going to be talking a little bit about that. Mm -hmm. Let me start off with the quote bomb for this episode. It's from Lindsay Holcomb. We teach our children to wear their seatbelts, fire safety, pool safety. So if we cover all those things, how much more so should we be making it a priority of personal safety, personal body awareness, personal body safety? That should be at the forefront just as much as the other things. I agree.
1: Yeah, that's great. So on today's episode, we're really excited to have Rebecca with us who works for the Methodist Children's Home. And she'll explain a little bit more about where she works and kind of what they do as we get into um, the podcast here to this episode. But we're just thank you for being willing to give your time and be on here. And we're excited to just learn more about becoming aware of child abuse in general, families in crisis, but also um, talking a little bit today as well about how that's kind of looking during COVID-19 as well, because you have so many people under so much more stress than they typically would be. And that just really changes family dynamics, which really changes, you know, the lives of kids. So we're excited that you're here. And why don't you explain to us a little bit about where you work and what you do?
2: Thanks. I'm excited to be here. So as Chelsea mentioned, I work for Methodist Children's Home and our agency works in several different capacities to help children and provide safe nurturing places for children. So we have our residential care program, which is where children who are either removed from their home or their parents are experiencing circumstances where they can't necessarily care for the children those kids come and live with us. And then we also have foster care and adoption services, but then we also do case management services where we have case managers go into homes and help the families. So these are families more prevention and intervention services. So for families who might be experiencing crisis, the case managers go into the home as a form of support and provide the families with resources and evidence-based tools to help them get to a more stable environment. So they do things like parenting classes and helping them find jobs and housing and things like that, but then also um, help them help parents learn how to have a healthy and stable environment
0: for their kids. That's great. What do you specifically do in, um, in your, in that organization or you, what do you call it? MCH. Call it a, yes. MCH.
2: At MCHI, my title is Strategic Initiatives Officer. And so basically what that means is I just go and help make sure that our programs and services are moving forward and that each area of our agency that we are continuing to improve our quality. And so that can mean I'm doing different things uh, every day, but just anything related to quality improvement at our agency. And then before I was in this position, I was a staff trainer. So I worked in training our staff um, specifically on how to be safe in the homes with working with kids, and then also working to help kids heal from trauma.
0: I'm so thankful that there's organizations like this that are actual, actual things that can be helping, uh, kids in crisis, you know, crisis yeah. families and crises and all those things. I'm so grateful for you working there and being a part of that. So thank you so much for being a part of the solution. Yes, I love what I do. <laughs> um, you were talking a little bit earlier about how there's organizations like yours kind of all over speak a little bit more on that. Because I know specifically right now, during the pandemic, there's a rise in not only child abuse, but also domestic violence Mm -hmm. and sexual assaults, um, which I'll kind of read a little bit after that. But I just want people to know that it's, I want you to speak on a little bit more how common jobs like you have are around. Um, Definitely a
2: misconception that there is with agencies like mine is that we're here to only for kids who maybe are orphaned or don't have a home to live in Mm -hmm. or that if an agency like ours goes into a home that it's there to you know, that we're there to take away kids. And that's definitely not what our goal is. Our goal is to maintain families and to help families build healthy environments in the home. And ideally, we always want a family to reunify and to have this healthy environment. And so a lot of our services and several organizations just like ours all over the United States and abroad have these types of services, case management services, where Staff who are professionally trained go into the home and meet with families once a week. They can meet with the parents, they meet with the kids, and they just help provide extra support to these families who may not otherwise have the skills and the tools to build this healthy space. So, Mm -hmm. a lot of times, people in crisis. struggle with creative problem solving. They struggle with being able to reach out and to find additional resources. And so agencies like ours just provide that space to be able to say, hey, what do you need? How can I help you learn these tools and get these resources that you need? And so it's not just our agency, but there's agencies all over that do things like this. And then at a time like this, when we're social distancing, our case managers have been able to video call. They've been able to drop off resources at the home, uh, just walk up outside and drop off those resources and then they leave and they're doing regular check-ins with these families. So even in times like this, these, um, These agencies are here to help parents. Um, I can't imagine, you know, being at home and right now with job loss and extra financial stressors Mm -hmm. and health concerns and all of that, then trying to raise children is stressful for anybody. Mm -hmm. And so we have these tools and these resources out there for families to be able to say, hey, I'm having a hard time right now. I just need somebody to listen or I'm really having a hard time with my kid because they were sleeping great, but all of a sudden, since all this happened, now they're waking up in the middle of the night scared and I don't know what to Mm -hmm. do. And we have trained professionals who can help families work through those struggles and just feel supported
1: I do you sorry I I just had a quick question because I was thinking about just I feel like a lot of times often um, people don't really tap into these type of resources until it's like either mandated by something or everything's already like the wheels have come off type of thing. Right. But from what you're saying, it seems like there's so much available to um, kind of start education and start getting help and resources before any of that would come about. So I'm just wondering for someone listening, maybe that's going, yeah, but I don't know if like we're really in crisis, like we're not really having that hard wow. of a time. Everyone has a hard time because I feel like we just so easily reason out a lot of our difficult feelings or our struggles, especially in times where we're trying to survive, like in this type of pandemic and all that. And so what would be kind of for someone that might be thinking that way, a point where they could really look at something and say, you know what? No, I think that like this is something that's available to me and I should reach out. Um, Like kind of what would that look like? Like a family that's like on kind of on the edge almost or or something like that?
2: I think it definitely goes back to this concept of it never hurts to ask. Mm. So our our intake a part of our intake and our admissions process is just to find out where the family's at you know we have things like parent education classes so say a family really doesn't need somebody to come in or maybe doesn't want someone Mm -hmm. coming into their home once a week but they really could just use some extra tools in their tool bag they can come to our free parent education classes and they can sit and learn about parenting and these are evidence-based classes. So they're research-based and they are proven to be effective tools. And they're ways that parents can learn more about their own history and what they bring to the table with parenting and then how that affects their child and how they can build secure relationships with their child. So there's a broad range of services at a lot of agencies like ours to where I know it's hard. It can be hard to pick up that phone and ask and say, hey, I'm just interested to learn more. But our agency, and I know so many agencies like ours, want to help. We want to be a resource for people. And so no matter where people are at, just calling in or most agencies have an online format too to just send an inquiry in to say, hey, I'm just wondering what you have available. Mm. And we have people who are there to answer those questions.
1: So it could be something as simple as like, I'm a parent or I'm a guardian and that's hard. Like what do you have available to me? Type yes. of thing? Okay. Yes. Okay.
2: Yeah. There's no line as to where people have to be to get resources. And that I think is one of the healthiest decisions we can make is to say, you know what, I'm going to reach out before things are tough,
0: right. yes. I'm going to
2: reach out. Yes, I'm going to reach out even though I don't feel, maybe I don't feel like my need is great enough. There's never, we all have just a varying degree of needs and mm-hmm. there's
0: never a need that's too small that it's always worth asking about. That's and great. I think that that makes you a good caregiver or a good parent. Is doing the humble thing of like, hey, I can see that this is going into an unhealthy place fast and reaching out and humbling yourself to do something like that. I think that is proof that you are a good parent who wants better tools, right? Because it's
1: just hard no matter what. It's just hard and having having help or resources or information available yeah like you said it never hurts to ask it doesn't hurt to have those things available like oh i learned this thing in this class about like we're having this power struggle and here's a way i could do it different and maybe that would work like other things to try versus maybe where we would just like keep trying the same thing over and over
2: yes and connecting with other parents too we have we started something called parent cafes that are ways that parents can just get together once a month and they have discussion questions that are facilitated, but it's a way to just talk to and connect with other parents to say, this is tough. It's always tough, no matter your circumstances. And, uh, this is what I'm doing as a parent. And it's just a, the connection, the connection is what we're all built, we're all built for connection Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. sometimes parenting can be very isolating. And Mm -hmm. so agencies like ours provide that connection.
0: And which is why I I feel like it is especially hard right now on, you know, children and just family units in general, because we are in such like a lack of connection, Mm -hmm. And or in a lot of isolation, I quickly want to read. Um, I I went on a, a Facebook Live panel today with an organization called Net Grace, and it was a bunch of a panel of a bunch of experts um, just talking about child sexual abuse and just like what churches can do and what you can do. It just gr- it was a great thing. I'll link some of the information at the end of this. But one of the experts is named Victor Vith Victor Vith, I believe. He gave five factors on why child abuse is on the rise during this pandemic. And I wanted to just kind of read them off and kind of just talk about them or, you know, agree with me or if you're seeing that in your organization, things like that. So he said the first factor is that child abuse is most likely people you know and people that are in your family. And so the children are in the homes with a lot of times their abusers for 24 hours a day, right? No escaping for school or for other things like other activities. Um, His second factor is that that they're isolated with their offenders, which is kind of what I said in the first one. Um, The third one is that the pandemic is added stressors and on the family unit. And I kind of wanted to talk about that one where You know, a lot of times when people, not just child abuse, but like domestic abuse in general too, is it's a form, like those abusers, it's a form of like control and power over someone when they're feeling like powerless and control And so added stressors in any way, and especially something like this, just causes more abuse, unfortunately. And then the fourth one was that there's a lot of child predators online And a lot of the children are online for more hours during the day Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and they're taking advantage of that and knowing that. And so children are being abused online. And then the fifth factor is children are not in areas where there's mandated reporters. So they're not at school where like the teachers know what signs to look for or know the numbers to call or what to do. And they're also, um, isolated from even maybe safe members in their family that could Mm -hmm. be calling and reaching out for them or just other safe friends, you know, Mm -hmm. friends of family and stuff. So I kind of wanted to throw that out there as part of our topic on this, um, because we're all in this and all of us can be safe people in one way or another, even if it's just something like this, doing this podcast, where we're raising awareness and giving numbers to call. But I do wanted to, I did wanted to say that to let people know that it really is on the rise. Have, he was saying that all of the abuse hotlines are like higher numbers than normal, higher number called the normal and stuff like that. Have you guys, your organization, have you seen an increase in people reaching out?
2: I can't speak to what we've seen at our organization in that specific space, just because I'm not in those numbers day to day. But I will say something that's been really interesting is that there are several states that are actually right now seeing uh, reports of child abuse decrease, but that can be something that is, we need to be cautious of that not setting false Expectations for us. What he said about the mandatory reporters are not with the kids right now. What's being seen in this, in some states, it's not in all, but in some states um, that decrease is going down because the ones who would normally be reporting aren't around the kids, which means these safe people and those yes. protectors are not there. And right. um, one of the the points that he said on that most of them are the abusers are the victims' parents, so. In a study that was done recently, about four out of five abusers are the victim's parents. Mm. So think about they are at home all the time now. The parents are at home all the time. The kids are at home all the time. And these safe people who are there to protect those kids and who are also a lot of times trained on how to identify abuse Mm -hmm. are no longer around those kids, which means that's then our responsibility. I think we have an added responsibility right now as Friends and neighbors and yes. people. When we're at the grocery store, not that we have to be hyper vigilant, but just to increase awareness of what are some of these warning signs of child abuse. What are when should I report? Mm-hmm. Um, and and kind of understanding that we need to not be afraid to report and we need to not be afraid to speak up for these kids because we're in a time when those kids need it the most. Mm-hmm.
0: Yes. One of the things that I'm a survivor and actually from a parent, my biological dad was my abuser. Um, thankfully I I stopped living with him when I was around six. But I think back to that, like if what if I was living with my dad right now, mm-hmm. you know, like I feel I can, I really feel sympathetic towards kids that are living with abusive family members um, and one of the things that kind of always um, is like a hot button issue for me, I guess I would say as a survivor is I think a lot of adults, and I put this only on adults, I think that it's only mandated reporters job mm. to protect children, that it's off of them, off of them because they're not a mandated, mandated reporter. And I personally feel like if you're an adult, you're a mandated reporter. Yeah. I,
1: I feel like humans, right? Like uh, if you're an adult human. human. human
0: and even if you're like say like a high schooler kid and you notice something with a friend or a friend tells you something tell them telling an adult and that adult needs to um call and I'll give numbers at the end of this Mm. but there's numbers that even if you just suspect it you can call a hotline it's not like you're calling the cops on them Mm. but being that that's the part that I think that I want to get across especially on an episode like this is that we're all mandated reporters. Like we all need to be looking out for children and the vulnerable. Yeah.
1: And I think something for me that I think about when I'm like worried about, well, what if I'm wrong type of thing that starts to go through my mind is I'd rather be wrong like and having like said something to help a child and be like, oh, I screwed up. I was wrong. Like find out I was wrong. I would be glad to find out I was wrong versus find out I could have done something and I didn't. And someone continued to be harmed. And I could have been a part of preventing or helping.
0: Right. And the only thing that happened, like, so if you're afraid that you could be wrong, right? And many people feel this way. And I don't want to, like, I understand that it is, like, a scary thing to do to call and turn someone in. I I understand that. That's, it's a brave thing to do. And usually things that are brave are scary. Right? Right. So if you turn, if you have suspects, if you have suspicions that a child's being abused, if that child isn't being abused, then nothing happens to that person that you turned in on. So it's not like they're gonna, you're ruining their life by protecting the child. Right. So I think a lot of people think that too, like I'm going to ruin this adult's life if I even just called it. And it's not true. (laughs) If nothing is happening, nothing happens to that adult. And unfortunately, even if something's happening, nothing happens to that adult a lot of times.
1: Right.
0: It's happening, you know. Huh? What I
2: was going to say, one thing when I did staff training, one thing I would tell staff is that it. It's not our job to decide if a child's being abused or not. Mm. That's There are people who are trained to do investigations to look for that. So what our job is, is to report concerns. And like you said, most of the time, unfortunately, most areas... With child uh, CPS workers, child protective services are so overrun by cases Mm -hmm. that it's usually only the worst of the worst that even get handled and dealt with. So. And what one thing as well is they keep record of those cases and that reporting. So say I call in with a concern and nothing comes of it, but then another neighbor calls in with a concern and another neighbor calls in with a concern. That all comes to the CPS worker's file. So from my perspective, all I see is that one concern. But that CPS worker then says, oh, look at this, these are reoccurring incidences and then that that it flags it and puts it up on their radar so what we have to realize too is from a kid's perspective if you were that child what would you hope an adult would do I know And, and that, I think that's really important to think, yes, it's scary. Yes. It's an unknown. We don't know. It's hard to report, but there's multiple avenues of reporting again, online. You can go, if you want to call, you can go in reporting is confidential. So your name and information is held in confidentiality as well. And, um, I, I had a friend who grew up, she was a kid in the seventies and her father was physically abusive. And she told me one time she would go to the pool with bruises Mm -hmm. and no one ever asked, no one Mm -hmm. ever said anything. And that was in a very different time, but I always think I never want to be that person who never says anything.
0: Mm -hmm. Amen, sister. So I, I, was Sorry. No, I was going to say that was great insight that you yeah. just gave right now. Okay. I love that.
1: I just wanted to go back to what you said, Rebecca, a couple minutes ago when you were talking about um, this, this kind of this, this responsibility, right, of like being a person to to bring these concerns about when we see them. But we were talking about how even in this time, that's this feels more difficult when children aren't with their teachers or even going to regular medical appointments and all that because so many things are kind of on pause Um, but at the grocery store or as a neighbor or as a friend just like talking to another adult friend or parent what are some of those warning signs that maybe we could be trying to be more intentional to be aware about
2: So I'm going to read off a list of warning signs because I actually have it right here in front of me, and that'll be better than trying to name off just what pops into my head from memory. But in prefacing that, I want to say one or two signs in particular don't necessarily mean child abuse. Um, Everybody experiences some of these different signs in different ways, shapes, or form, but what... What's concerning is when you see multiple signs together. Mm. And so building those relationships and um, kind of continuing to talk, especially like neighbors or things like that. But then definitely in a grocery store, you might see some of these signs and it's important to report. So one sign is an unkept or malnourished appearance. Hmm. Abrupt changes in behavior, such as eating, sleeping, school, per, or perform, school performance or aggression, sudden mood swings or signs of depression, wetting or soiling issues that aren't related to potty training, recurrent or unexplained injuries or bruises, wearing inappropriate clothing for the weather, which could potentially be covering up injuries, being withdrawn from family or peers fear of certain places or certain people, self-harm, illness left untreated, lack of supervision, and then running away from the home. So those are some of the different warning signs. But again, it's when you see a few of these together that it's it's a sign of possible abuse.
1: And for like, say we have, you know, friends that we know maybe, things are extra stressful for or families that we feel like maybe are already we're somewhat in crisis. Are there any like kind of good questions we could like be asking, say we're just checking in with them that we could be asking them just to say like where they're at.
2: Mm-hmm. Definitely. One of the big questions to ask is asking parents what they've done for themselves recently, mm. because a lot of where, where abuse stems from a lot of times is it stems from stressors. Mm -hmm. So as a parent, if parents aren't able to do that self-care and take that time for self-care, then that's going to, that those stressors are going to come out in some way, shape or form. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. especially over long periods of time, that can then escalate into abusive situations. Okay. So, just asking them what they've done for themselves recently, asking them how they're doing, asking them how their relationship with their kids is going, um, hmm. asking them what they need, if you know, if they've had any needs come up. Um, some of the ways to just help is to to even just drop off dinner or drop off groceries or write an encouraging note, Mm -hmm. some little, just remembering, it doesn't have to be big ways to help.
1: Mm
2: -hmm. Right, Those little tiny things can make a world of a difference for people in stressful situations. And right now we're all in a stressful
0: situation. So
2: we all, everybody needs to be asked how they're doing and how home life is going and If kids, when you're talking with kids, you could just say, is there anything that makes you feel scared right now? Mm -hmm. Is there anything that you felt afraid of? Um, And you can just kind of get that feel for who's a safe person in your life. Who's someone that you feel like you can talk to or go to when you're afraid. Mm -hmm. So you can get that feel from kids on, on their safety and how
1: safe they feel. I love that. Thank you for sharing those things. That's
0: great. I wanted to kind of just give a couple of resources for people to know where they can reach out during this time if they're listening to this. Um, And I kind of loved what you just said, finding your safe people. That's what me and Chelsea always say about this podcast. Um, Today, like I said earlier in the episode, I watched a panel discussion with some of my favorite advocates and experts on child safeguarding. And that is uh, NetGrace. I believe it's still on Facebook, Facebook lives. You can rewatch them, right guys? Chelsea, yeah. I feel like you know that. Yeah, I
1: think
0: um, so. you can rewatch that and it'll also be on YouTube and we'll put that in the show notes. But one of the things that they brought up is, um, they specifically were speaking on survivors, um, going through COVID-19 because like anyone that has already suffered trauma, this type of thing is extra triggering. those, Right. And there's been a lot, and it doesn't just have to be sexual assault Mm -hmm. survivors, just anyone that's had trauma in their life. Um, and so go look on that. That was amazing. They had amazing resources and just actual practical things to do. Like, for instance, if you're feeling like you have a ton of anxiety, um, one of the women said that she actually just has like an actual, like self-care box, Mm that like she can like go to and she'll smell like a certain smell that gives her calmness. Mm. And she'll like have like a picture in there that like brings her calmness or whatever. Just giving actual tips on what to do during COVID-19, like when stressors are high and anxiety is high. So that is a great, great resource that if you're struggling and we all are, (laughs) that gives you good practical tips from people that have been in the industry for a long time. Um, I also wanted to write, to, to, I wanted to speak out the names of these hotlines for anyone that's listening that is experiencing this or anyone that has concerns for others.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So the National Sexual Assault Hotline is 1-800-656-4673. The National Child Abuse Hotline is 1-800-422-4453. And the National Domestic Violence Hotline is one 800 799 33. Three. Rebecca, is there anything you would add to that to anyone listening that um, needs some just calm down tips or <laughs> any numbers that they could call? Or is there anything, any advice that you can give? We, I know we could talk about the subject forever.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah I think a big, the biggest thing I would just say is that calming down and that creating space for yourself first is what's most important. We um I always use the analogy of if you're in an airplane and the the mask, the air mask, Mm -hmm. the mask drops down, they tell you to put it on yourself first. So you can be sure you help somebody else. And that's where we need to be. We can't help somebody else when we're drowning or when we can't breathe. So first we need to make sure to take care of ourselves and then we can take care of others and in a home situation in a situation like this, to have a safe, healthy home, we've got to make sure that we're just taking that time mm-hmm. for ourselves and know that there are agencies out there. there are resources out there that want to help. And then the other thing I would add real quick is Dr. Karen Purvis, who is an amazing, um, she' was an amazing researcher on trauma and helping kids heal from trauma said that every child has three birth rights. One, the right to have a safe place. Two, the right to have safe adults in their life. And three, the right to have somebody think that they're precious.
0: And oh, I love that.
2: Yeah, our role as adults is to make sure that every child has access to those three rights. Mm-hmm. And if you feel like there's a child in your life who does not have those three rights in their life,
1: speak up because yeah. you may be the only person who speaks up for them.
0: Oh, Rebecca, you're awesome as always.
1: I love that. And I just want to remind people too that I i feel like right now it's hard because you feel so many people feel trapped, right? Like we're trapped in our homes, we're trapped this. And so I feel like a lot of times for parents, especially if you've already been struggling to self-regulate or caretakers and all this stress that the idea of like taking time and doing these things for yourself can feel super overwhelming. Like I've talked to my therapist about that for myself personally, but one of the things I do even just for myself is remind myself that even if all I do is like walk away for five minutes and like I do that thing, like you were talking about, the lady had like a box where she smells something. I just take a few minutes to step away. And, and if that means I just go to the bathroom for extra long and like, lock the door of the bathroom and like take a minute to think or breathe or whatever. But maybe I can't take like a long time right now. I can't go do something for an hour or whatever. You can start to implement even just small things. And the other amazing thing about that is your kids see that as like, because they learn from that modeling. Right. And I feel like that helps them learn too, especially in this type of situation to try to take some of those moments themselves as well because they see like, Oh mom, mom went like over here. Cause she needed to calm down and then like return yeah. to the situation type of thing. So yeah. even if it doesn't That's feel great. like you can do something big, just, just start small, just start yeah. small with what you can do and, and yep. go from there.
0: And, and like we say, like find your safe people and even, just calling a friend, it doesn't have to necessarily be calling some organization or whatever, just saying like, Hey, I really feel like I am like about to lose it. Yeah. And just releasing that to someone safe that you don't feel like you're going to be judged by or like any of those things. I think that's also a super important thing to be doing right now is having those people in your life, those safe people in your life that, that you can be honest with yeah. and check in with and let them know where where you're at and get that support.
1: Yeah. So thank you so much, Rebecca, for sharing and Catherine, for you sharing all that you've learned and advocating um, as well. And I'm just glad that we're having this conversation. I'm always glad that we're having these conversations, even though they're like hard things. They're just so important. So they're
0: so important.
1: So, yeah, thank you for being here with us. Um, And well, like with with us, you know, with us as <laughs> in like the collective universe us (laughs) um (laughs) but you can connect with us on instagram at talking about the no-nos gmail talking about the no-nos at gmail.com and as always find your safe people to talk about the no-nos with